Let's go ahead and get in our word this morning. Uh, last Sunday, I mentioned that we, I wanted to kick off this series on family matters, uh, God's blueprint for building a godly home. I want you to turn to Psalm 127. I wrote it, read it last week. I want to read it once again this morning. Um, I, I'm very concerned about the family. And, and I, 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 I did this, serve, or this series, I'm in this series because, you know, entitled Family Matters, because family matters. And, and it's important because we all have a choice as to who will influence our family. We get to choose how we're going to build our families. And listen, it's more than just a social construct. We have to understand that last Sunday I preached about God's initiative. When, when the family came about, it was not an initiative of man. Man didn't sit down and say, hey, I think we ought to do this, this, and this, and we can produce this. That's not it at all. In fact, the family began in the very beginnings of creation when God created Adam and Eve, placed them in utopia, if you will. And remember, I said it last week that when man sinned and severed that relationship with God, the only thing that God allowed man to take out of paradise was that family concept that tells me that God intends that our families be a little bit of heaven on earth. It's not often that that's the case, but that's what the biblical pattern of the family is all about. And so uh, we want to talk about that over the next few weeks. We're going to be looking at elements of the family, how to have a biblical family. Listen, I'm concerned about the family. Uh, Again, it continues to erode right before our eyes And so we need to turn to the Word and find out what does God say about the family. So Psalms 127, verse number 1, again, I said this is a uh, song of ascent from Solomon, and he just simply, just one verse, says, unless the Lord builds the house, you can substitute their home. Unless the Lord builds the home, they labor in vain who build it. Unless the Lord guards the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. Let's read that again. Unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain vain who build it. Unless the Lord guards the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. May the Lord add his blessing to his word this morning. I I do want to give a disclaimer this morning because, as I said last week, today's family unit comes in all shapes and sizes. And some families do better than other families do, and I understand that. Uh, We have blended families. We have single-parent homes and things of that nature. So, so my, my, my disclaimer is this. This series is not about beating up on the family. I, I, I want to be very honest. Now, I'm going to talk very pointed to you. Uh, I'm, I'm going to share some data with you, some scriptures that are going to probably hit home pretty good for, for many of us. But the reality is this series is not designed to beat up the family. Here's what I want to do. This is the purpose of this series. I want to awaken the power of the Christian family. Let me say that again. The purpose of this series is I want to awaken the power of the Christian family. I mentioned this last week that the family unit has changed a lot in my lifetime and not for the better. You know, I'm 56 years old and I've seen the family change quite a bit in those 56 years. Listen to what Chuck Swindoll said uh, regarding the family. And I quote, he said, we live in a world that downplays the value of the home. We don't realize the kind of world our children face each day and how things have changed. And then he goes through and he gives a list of things. He goes all the way back to the 30s. He said, for instance, kids in the 30s grew up during the Depression when things were, uh, where times were hard. Everybody worked and a dollar was worth a lot of money. Kids in the 40s grew up with World War II, Frank Sinatra, Bogey and Bacall. Kids in the 50s grew up with black and white television. And I know some of our modern kids that are here are like, what in the world are you talking about? Uh, But they grew up with black and white television, I Like Ike, Hula Hoops, uh, a kid from Tupelo, Mississippi by the name of Elvis Presley. Kids in the 60s grew up with the Beatles, LSD, assassinations, the summer of love, Vietnam, and violence in the streets of our nation. Kids in the 70s grew up with Charlie's Angels, Disco, Happy Days, MASH, Saturday Night Fever, and the Doobie Brothers. By the way, they split up, right? (laughs) Uh, Kids in the 80s. Kids in the 80s grew up with crack cocaine, AIDS, MTV, Pee Wee Herman, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Nintendo, Nightmare on Elm Street. 
Kids in the 90s grew up with The Simpsons, Friends, Seinfeld, Michael Jordan, Monica Lewinsky, rap music, and Nirvana. Kids in the 2000s grew up with 9-11, The War on Terror, American Idol, Harry Potter, South Park, here's one, MySpace. I had no space, but anyway, MySpace, and Hannah Montana. Kids, and it stops here, kids in the teens are growing up, he, uh, obviously this is a few years old, kids in the teens are growing up with Lady Gaga, Drake, iPhones, YouTube, Instagram, Snapchat, Snapchat, sexting, and gay marriage. He goes on to say, kids, our kids today, they see more, they know more, and they experience more, and they grow up faster than what we did. And he concludes by this, sex talk is nothing to them because they hear it every single day, end quote. Again, I would quote Dr. James Dobson of Focus on the Family, and here's what he said. And again, this is the impetus behind this entire family series. Here's what Dr. Dobson said. He said, we must make the salvation of our children our number one priority. Did you get that? It's not secondary or tertiary. He said, we must make the salvation of our children our absolute number one priority. Nothing else is more important than that, end quote. And I would have to echo that a million times. As parents, we have one responsibility under God, and it is to raise. In fact, let's talk about that. Let's talk about that. Have you ever wondered why God chose to establish the family in the structure that he did? I mean, again, he's God, right? So, so God could do anything he wants to. I mean, he, he, could, he could fashion it, he could make it, model it after anything that he, want, he wanted to. So why did he choose the leave and cleave model to establish the family? Why, why did he do that? Why did, think about this, why did God give us the joy of becoming parents? Now, I love being a dad. I love my son, I love my daughter. I really like being a pawpaw. I, I'm, you know, what do they say? Grandchildren are your reward for not killing your own kids? <laughs> uh, I, I love my children. They, they brought me great joy and a lot of pain. <laughs> but I love being a parent. In fact, sweetheart, I'd probably do it all over again if I was 30 years younger. <laughs> so, so, but why did God do that? I mean, again, why did God establish the concept of the family unit the way that he did? Uh, again, there are many reasons that we could probably come up with, but, but I want to go back to Malachi because I think Malachi gives us a very specific reason why God instituted the family. Malachi chapter 2, verse 15, here's what he says. Has not the one God made the two of you one? Now, there's your concept. The two of you shall be what? One. So he says, has not the God, the one God made the two of you one? You belong to him, body and spirit. And what does God seek? Okay, that's the question. What does God seek? Here's what he says. Godly offspring. Godly offspring. And then he closes at verse 15. So be on your guard and do not be unfaithful to the wife of your youth. So, so did you pick up on what he said? The reason that God established the family unit the way that he did, God's design for the family is so that parents would raise our children to love him. Godly offspring. That's God's design. His command to Adam and Eve was to be fruitful and multiply. Why? To fill the earth with godly offspring and image bearers of Christ. Listen, every one of us are telling a story to everybody we meet. The Bible says we are living epistles read of all men. So, so we convey a story. We convey uh, our story. And, and, and what God is after through the family concept is that we have a home that raises godly children, passes on a spiritual heritage. That's Deuteronomy chapter 9. He said, look, when you sit down, when you lie down, when you sit at the supper table, when you walk along the way, take these things and put them on the doorpost of your home. Why? He said, you're to teach your children. Every opportunity, you teach your children the things of the Lord so that it continues from one generation to the next. I told you last week, my father... My grandfather was a pastor. It skipped my dad's generation, and now three of the grandsons are pastors, preachers. And uh, my dad never was a preacher, but yet he preached to me every day of my life. And, and one of the reasons I am where I am today is because my father preached a message to me that resonated within my soul. And the message 
The only, he, he didn't know anything, again, I said last week about homolytics and hermeneutics and all those other things. He didn't know anything about all that. But he had one message, and that was, boy, Jesus is coming, and you better be ready. And that's what he took. And again, you know, that, that was his message, and it resonated with me. And that's what God's idea of the family is, is as parents, we sit down and we teach our children, and we pass on the faith. When my children were small, I knew I had one shot. That was the way I looked at parenting. I had one shot to raise my children to fall in love with Jesus. Didn't matter anything else beyond that. Didn't matter what college they went to. Didn't matter what job they decided. Didn't really matter at that point what mate they chose to marry. I wanted them to fall in love with Jesus and have a relationship that would take them to heaven. And that's what Malachi says. God's purpose was for the family. Now, we understand the family with the first Adam didn't go so well, right? I mean, his first, you know, his first two, one killed the other. So it didn't go very well with the first family. But listen, the second Adam came in the person of Jesus Christ, and he came to reverse the curse, and yet and God's desire remains the same. He hasn't changed. He still wants us to have godly homes where we raise godly children that produce a godly attitude and, 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 and as far as civility and our civic duties and responsibilities that bleeds over into how we act and conduct ourselves in the lost world that we live in. That's God's design for, the mar- for, for a family unit. He wants offspring to fill the earth. That's where the Great Commission comes in, that go into all the world and preach the gospel, making disciples of all nations. That's the fulfillment of that. And again, just the casual glance of the American home right now, it's easy to conclude that our families are in trouble. And again, I said it last week, it would be easy for us in the church to come in and, and think about, well, that's problems out there. It's people out there. No, there's problems in the church. The sins of the world have become the sins of the church. And so we can't just sit here and say, well, we don't have an issue. All the issues are out there. No, it's here. You know, we used to sing over there, over there. No, it's in here. It's in here. We have issues. And I'm concerned. I mean, the typical climate today in the home is that moms and dads are at each other's throats. The kids are at each other's throats. The dog hates the cat, and the cat hates the fish. I mean, it's just a perpetual cycle. In fact, for the most part, many of the modern family units that we have, uh, if there's any type of parental relationship, with the, again, with a parent-child relationship, it's normally expressed at decibels higher than a rock concert. Again, we, we, we sit here and we think that's out there. No, it's in here. It's in here. We're, the, the, there, there's no peace and harmony in our homes. And I think God designed, remember, God designed the home to be a little bit of uh, heaven on earth. And it's a place that we, it ought to be a safe haven that we can go to and, and be ourselves and be comfortable with one another and share whatever is burden, uh, burden uh, is laborious to us or, or burdensome to us. We ought to be able to do that. Instead, today, we don't have time for one another and we express the frustrations at high decibel levels. According to the Pew Research, the United States is, has the largest population, probably uh, several years removed, I'm sure, has the largest Christian population and yet has the greatest number of children being raised in single-parent homes. Around here at Bethel Temple, we really we have always tried to partner with our single-parent homes and go b- above and beyond because I believe that we need to step in and help in a very difficult situation. I mentioned last week that in the United States, we have over 20 million children right now that are being raised in single-parent homes, the majority of which are single-mom households. The foundations have been eroding for decades, and we're seeing the collapse uh, of the biblical family unit. Again, I said it last week, but remember, as the family goes, so goes society. Again, we want to get mad about what we see on the news every night about the violence in the street and the senselessness of man's inhumanity to man. But please understand, the problem is not what you see expressed. That is a manifestation of something greater and more rooted in the family structures. We've seen the foundations erode. So when you think of the family, what do you think of? The biblical model of the family is one man, one woman committed for life raising their children. Again, this is not about beating up on the family because I know that because we have a, the Bible says we have an adversary who walks about as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. I know that we live in a world today where that family unit and concept has been fractured. So we have single dad homes and single mom homes and we have blended families. And although the enemies work tooth and nail to fight against the family. Why? Because it is the, it is the building block of stable society. It has always been. 
You go back and research through anthropology, you go back and research from the very beginning of humanity, the family unit has been the core of every civilized society. So why do you think the enemy fights tooth and nail against the family? Because he understands as the family goes, so goes society. So again, the uh, culture has redefined today the sacredness of of the family. But I'm, I'm here to tell you that, listen, we either can take our marching orders from him or we can take it from all the peripheral things that speak into the family today. That's our choice. If we want to be successful in, in, in raising a godly home, a stable home, then we have, to put, we have to go back to the Bible and find out what does he say to us. Again, redefining the family has had catastrophic consequences on society. I mentioned this several years ago when, when they uh, passed the same-sex marriage thing for, at, 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 with the government. I mentioned to you that I said, you need to understand this is more than just a same-sex issue. This is opening a door that we're not going to be able to close. And we need voices in the church that will stand up and fight for the traditional biblical family values because we're seeing the erosion. When you throw off constraints, when you throw off morality, you're seeing the chaos that ensues because of that. Traditional biblical, the traditional biblical family model continues to decline at an alarming rate. We have people today that would rather not get married. They just want to live together. Well, here's the thing. It, it, and again, I think a lot of people would opt for the thrill of the, mar- uh, thrill of the marriage without the commitment of the marriage. And what happens when you introduce a child into that? They see that commitments don't really make much of a difference. And so they grow, grow up with a mindset that if I don't like this, when things get tough, I'll just bail out and go to something else. And if that gets tough, and then I'll just bail out and go to something else. Uh, again, we must model for our children what it means to be committed in a biblical, traditional family uh, of value. The results are devastating. And again, I think somebody needs to speak up. Where's the voice of the church? I, I told you last week, I mean, who would have thought that we would be at a point, and again, I'm not jumping on the bandwagon, I'm just saying, who would have thought that we have, would become a, at a point in our nation, founded on the principles of Scripture, where now we have to decide what pronoun to use? Somebody needs to, where's the voice of the church? Where's the voice of the church that speaks? And again, I'm not, making, I'm not making light of that. I understand there are people today, because of all the mixed messages, we have children today that are absolutely confused. Because the world is preaching one thing and the church is preaching something else and and the church, again, we've not done a very good job of being consistent in our message. That's why we're doing this series. Marriages are falling apart. Families are disintegrating before our eyes. We have to be careful that we don't, uh, just because we don't think that these issues are, are relevant and germane to our family, that we are exempt from them. I'm telling you, that family crisis is wreaking havoc on our nation, and you're part of the nation. So maybe you're sitting here this morning and say, you know what, Pastor, I'm struggling in my family. I mean, if I'm being honest, if I'm being open, I'm, I, I, we're really struggling right now, things that you're talking about. Maybe, maybe your home right now resembles a war zone, and you desperately need peace. Maybe you have marital conflict right now. Maybe you can't find that, that uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Maybe you can't find detente. Maybe you can't find that place of, 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 of compromise and and, and accommodation of each other. Maybe you're at that place. Or maybe as a parent, maybe you and your, your children, maybe there's parental conflict and your children are rebelling. I, I just came to tell you this morning that amid all the bad news that we can hear and we can talk about, there's still good news. And we sang about it this morning. God has the answer. You are the answer. My only answer. See, when God created man, in his infinite wisdom, he looked, on the pl- he looked on the plight of man, and he recognized that man was incomplete without a suitable helpmate. So what does he do? Out of man, he creates woman. And he puts them together, and he charged them with the task of building the home. Now, let me again be absolutely clear. God created man and woman, male and female. That's what the scriptures say. And male and female created he them. And then, furthermore, not only did he create male and female, he then said, and he instituted the leave and cleave. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and cleave unto his wife, and they twain shall be one. So right there he instituted this family concept of leave and cleave, and he gave these instructions. 
Now, again, in our, uh, in our text this morning, the psalmist declares, unless the Lord builds the home, they that labor, they labor in vain that build it. In other words, if I try to build my home on any other concept other than what God has laid out, then it's not going to work. Amen. It's not going to work. With our young people that are looking forward to one day maybe dating and getting married, I'm telling you, there's no other foundation that you can lay that will give you a, a, a roadmap to success like this one right here. Parent, we, parents, grandparents, we need to teach our children what it means to have a biblical, a biblical household. Now, we're going to be talking about later on in this series over the next few weeks uh, responsibilities of a husband and a wife. Again, boy, have we messed that up. So, so anyway, for this morning, the next few moments, what, what does the biblical foundation offer the family? I'll give you two things. The first thing is this, stability. A biblical, a, a, a biblical foundation for a family offers stability. Now, the family begins with the marriage covenant where the husband and the wife, they pledge themselves to honor one another till death do them part right there. It begins with that promise to honor and cleave to each other for their entire lifetime. So when marriages function as God intended for marriages to function, it brings great benefits to the family and to society. I've, I've, I've had this saying for years, and I mentioned it last week, I'll mention it again, that the world is sick because the church is sick. And the church is sick because families are sick. And families are sick because marriages are sick. So you heal the marriage, you heal the family. You heal the family, you heal the church. You heal the church, you change the world. And so we're dealing with the marriage. So marriage, when it functions the way it's supposed to, it is a benefit, not just to the, fa the immediate family, it is a benefit for everyone, including the nation. Marriage is how the human race is propagated and the means by which uh, spiritual education is passed on from one generation to the other. Listen, I love our programs that we have here and we offer our, our community here at Bethel Temple. I love the BT kids and I love our refuge students. But listen, we get them for a very small time each week. And if you're relying on the, on the church, the youth pastor, the children's pastor to, to, to fully educate your children in the ways of God, just pardon my, my Alabama, it ain't going to happen. Just not. You need to take up that banner. Too many couples today depend on love to keep their marriages together. Well, pastor, I just fell out of love with him. I fell out of love with her. We don't love each other anymore. Can I tell you love is not the glue that holds marriage together? Do you know that? Mar marriage is not held together by love. You know what it's held together by? Commitment. Commitment is the glue that holds the family together. Love is the reward for that commitment. See, we got it all backwards in our world today. Everything we, everything you t uh, every model that you see from Hollywood and all these uh, celebrities and athletes, it's all about, well, I just don't love them anymore. I'll move on to the next one. That's not the glue of marriage. It's that commitment, that leave and cleave model that is so important. The process of keeping that commitment is what makes our love grow with one another. There was a survey conducted several years ago, and it asked teenagers what they most wanted from their parents. And you know what the answer was? You know, we would sit here and say, well, they want a new iPad, a new iPhone, a new this, a new that, or whatever. The number one answer, when asked what uh, they wanted from their parents, overwhelmingly, they said a stable home. A stable home. See, the world our teenagers are growing up in is vastly different from the world that we, we grew up in. It's a whole lot different. And they need us to provide more than ever a stable home where they are welcomed and they are loved and cherished and nurtured. And see, the only way that you can provide that stable home is providing a stable marriage. So let me ask you this. What will your children know, or excuse me, what will your children remember about your marriage? If they were to model their, their family after yours, what would it look like? Again, nine times out of 10, when, when children come into a relationship, they're bringing, he's bringing his experiences with his mom and dad, and she's bringing her experiences with her mom and dad, and they're bringing them in there, and they're modeling after those two, and a lot of times there's, there's conflict, right? Right. 
That was the emphasis. <laughs> See, too often we approach marriage again as though our mate is there to make us happy. Listen, I, I came to tell you this morning, marriage is not about making you happy. God did not intend, God did not create marriage just to make us happy. You know what? He created marriage to spiritually mature us. Woo! Getting quiet in this church. <laughs> he didn't create marriage to make us happy. Now, happiness, I enjoy being married. And I think it's a wonderful institution. And I'll leave it at that. <laughs> No, it's great, but, but he didn't create marriage to make us happy. He created marriage to spiritually mature us because if I can't live my faith out in my home to the, with those closest to me, then what business do I have trying to shine a light in a dark world? See, a home is more than a house that we live in or a car we drive or the amount of money that we make. It's more than leaving an inheritance to your, your children providing everything that they need. We can have all of the world's goods and still not have a home. A home, a biblical home is a place where that family comes together and they fellowship with one another and with God. I told you last week that, that first and foremost it begins with each individual's relationship with God. Husband committed to the father, the wife committed to the father, the children committed to the father, and as they're committed to, to the father, they now have that extra oomph. The second thing is this, security. A biblical foundation for a biblical family is stability and security. The psalmist goes on and says, except the Lord guards the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. Building a biblical foundation, again, not only builds stability, but it also produces security. I mean, again, everywhere we turn today, the family is under attack. There are sitcoms that mock television, uh, television shows that mock the family. In fact, they, they have television shows that are, you know, they call them sitcoms, and they they joke about tradition. So, so if they show a Christian family in a sitcom, they're normally the butt of jokes and they're made fun of. I mean, you, you see that. The family is under attack. We've redefined the, uh, the marriage. We are now trying to redefine sex and gender. We're trying to redefine all of this stuff. Kids are today are confused. They don't know which way to turn, what to do. Again, there's an attack. These magazines and Hollywood and all of these things are glorifying this footloose and fancy-free lifestyle that says there are no consequences to our choices. But listen to me, there are. The Bible says, whatever you sow, that shall you also reap. And yet society doesn't want to hear that. See, that's not the image that we have from Scripture. Society teaches us to throw off constraints, but God puts constraints. How many has ever driven up in the mountains? You know, when you drive in the mountains, there's one thing that you want on that road, particularly on the side that falls off. What do you want? You want guardrails. Yeah, you want guardrails there. What, why do you want guardrails there? So you don't veer off course. And if you do, they kind of help nudge you back in. Well, see, that's what the constraint, moral constraints that God places, they're guardrails to help us stay on the, on the narrow. Remember, there's a broad way and there's a narrow way. Those guardrails help us to stay in step with the Spirit. Guardrails are installed along dangerous spots to keep us on the correct path. God places moral restraints for the same reason. Again, these guardrails keep us on the right path. Whenever temptation comes, I love the story of Joseph, one of my favorite stories <laughs> this week. Uh, one of my favorite stories because when he was, see, the time to make a decision is before temptation. You're in the middle of temptation. Okay? So he had already, because he lived within the guardrails, he had already decided what to do when he got into a precarious place, a provocative place. Listen, today there are so many competing messages, and the only way we can navigate these treacherous times is to find security in building our families on biblical values. Think about it. We've we glorified adultery so much in our culture today that now many people don't see anything wrong with an extramarital fling. We call it an affair. We don't call it adultery anymore because that stings too much. In fact, there are websites you can go to right now that will tell you how to, like if you're a business person and you're traveling, there are certain places you can go and there's a website you can set up to have a one-night fling while you're on your business trip. They say it enhances the fire in your own marriage. But the Bible says it's a sin. The Bible says it's a sin. One of the byproducts of the sexual revolution is the abortion industry. 
no consequences. See, before there was consequences, now there's no consequences because if I get pregnant with a one-night fling, then you know what, I'd just go eradicate the baby. I say that, I'd go kill the baby, that's what it is. I read earlier this week that in California and in Colorado, they've, they've passed a law that, and I don't know where it goes from there, but they've passed a law that allows basically babies to be killed after birth within a few days Last Sunday morning, I remember meeting a young couple that came to our distribution, or the, the giveaway, the, the bottles, bibs, and more giveaway. And I remember this baby, probably wasn't even two weeks old. I looked at, I love babies. I looked at that baby. <laughs> Look over there, seeing Chris holding his baby. <laughs> I, I looked at that baby, and then when I read that this week, I thought, you know what? In California and Colorado, they could have terminated that baby that was here in church last week. Broke my heart. Absolutely broke my heart. What in the world are we thinking? We see the sexual revolution has produced a no consequence uh, involvement with each other. Our teens today are told that sex is okay as long as they are safe. I mean, he's heard that message before. Sex education is going to a lower and lower and lower grade level. You know, Governor DeSantis got really lambasted by the national media and all these other places for the don't say gay bill has nothing to do with that. He just simply said, look, teach age-appropriate education. That's all it was. And yet people are aghast that somebody would dare to step up and say something for the youngest among us, the most innocent people. Again, we're told that sex is okay as long as we're safe. Listen, look at, I believe in safe sex by the book. Amen? It says the bed is honorable after marriage, but until then it's off limits. It's off limits. Well, I love him. Doesn't matter. Not until marriage. And you know what? I've been called a prude, a fuddy-dud, among many other things. But that's okay. Because that no-consequence message is destroying the fabric of our nation. You've heard me say this before. God has given you one thing, and I'm, I'm speaking mainly to young people today. God has given you one thing that you can only give away one time in your life. This special gift that God has given to you as a woman and as a husband or a man, God intends you, lady, to give that to your husband on the night of your marriage. It is a sacred thing. You can only give it away one time in your life. Your virginity is a sign of honor and purity. And yet culture today says it doesn't matter. You can bounce from one relationship to the other. And we're reaping the whirlwind because we're not hearing to the biblical morality. Listen, this book's not just a good book. You say, Pastor, you're meddling now. No, I'm just being honest. I'm concerned with families. I'm concerned with our families and the families of Cleburne and Johnson County. I'm concerned. Much of the stuff you see played out, much of the incarcerations that we see in our local prisons and, and jails can be correlated directly to the breakdown of the family unit. And somebody needs to start talking about it. This book's not about inspiration. It's about transformation. See, it has wonderful stories, and they inspire me, but it's not about inspiring me. It's about transforming me. Moms, dads, if you will build your house upon this book, you will have a safe and secure home. God's taken the guesswork out. I love that. One of the things I love about being a, a Christian and a, a, a godly father is the fact that God's taken the guesswork out. He doesn't say, okay, now you leave them and you leave them and you come together and cleave together and have a family and good luck. <laughs> he instructs us. The psalmist says his word is a lamp unto our feet and is a light unto our path. He helps us. Listen, if it, it doesn't matter if you've never been married. If you plan to get married, you want to build on this one right here. It'll tell you how to be a husband as unto the Lord. It'll tell you how to be a wife as unto the Lord. It'll tell you how to be a parent as unto the Lord and children honoring your parents. Listen, if you've been married a long time, it doesn't really matter. If you're going to build, if you're going to build that, I believe this. We can take back the family starting today. We can rescue those that are perishing, right? So let me ask you. Where's your family this morning? Guys, come on back as I wrap this up.
Where's your family this morning? Does your family resemble more of a war zone where conflicts are normal and routine in your house? Do you have children rebelling and they don't know what to do? Well, again, God has the answer, and I believe that we can make a commitment today to start rebuilding our homes. Again, and I, I think it starts, and this is something the Lord laid on my heart in early service, I think it starts with understanding that love is not the glue that holds that family together. It's the commitment to each other. Sheila and I will, she's with me this morning. Um, she, uh, she and I have been married, if the Lord tarries in September, will be 36 years. That's a long time. <laughs> no, I mean, that's a one. <laughs> 36 years. I'm, I'm going to share this. with I've shared this before, but I want to kind of share it with you. I won't have time to do the whole story. But I want to explain what I mean by commitment being the glue that holds us together. When we started pastoring this church in 1993, I was working at that time for the city of Irving. We lived in Duncanville. We had just bought a home in Duncanville. I worked in Irving. She worked at that time for FDIC. That was She was part of the... I guess, if I remember right, the litigation department um, when all the SNLs were kind of going belly up back then in the 90s. And we were pastoring here, so we would come down uh, and we were like ships in the night, you know, passing each other. Um, 1994 was probably the worst year of our 35 years of marriage. I, don't have time, I won't have time to get into all the details, but it was, a, it was a real rocky year for us. In fact, I'm just going to tell you, and I'm going to be very transparent, had it not been for our commitment to each other under God, we wouldn't be here today. No doubt in my mind. We got into a routine of busyness of life, not paying attention to one another. Most of what went on in 1994 was my fault. I was a bonehead doing boneheaded things. It got real tense. A lot of heated. Most of, the conver- most of the communication at that point for six months between Sheila and I were at those decibel levels that were exceeding rock concerts. My son was very, very young, so he wouldn't remember any of it. Rebecca was pretty small, so at the time. And I remember one morning when everything kind of came to a head. One morning, she and I had had, the night before, we'd had a if you will, a knockdown drag out. And that morning it continued on when she woke up getting ready to go out the door. And this lady that I love with every fiber of my being looked at me as she was heading out the door. And she says, I can't do this anymore. I can't do this anymore. She takes my two children, drops them off at daycare, and she has to, heads to work. Ringing in my ears is that I can't do this anymore. I can't do this anymore. See, sometimes, guys, we push for things, but we push hard and we end up creating the environment for the very thing that we're trying to prevent. We get to that point where, again, reverberating in my mind is I can't do this anymore. I can't do this anymore. I sat down on the side of my bed. And I've been, again, I've been very transparent all my life, all my ministry here. I pulled out a pistol and I put it to my head. I've never heard, and I'm not suicidal, okay? That's not a tendency I have. But at that day of that rock bottom desperation, that's the only solution I thought. So as I sit there with that pistol at the side of my head, I've never heard God audibly speak to me. But boy, that day he got a hold of me. And he just simply said, Mike, what are you doing? That was it. And it scared me. It was like I'd been, it's like I'd been in a fog, and all of a sudden that fog cleared. And when I saw that pistol in my hand, it scared me to death. I immediately dropped that pistol. Some of you would know this name. I called, we, when we first moved to Texas, we were attending church in Grand Prairie uh, at Abundant Life Assembly of God there under uh, uh, Bob Skipper. He was a presbyter, one of our leaders in our denomination. And when, I, when it dawned on me what had happened, what I was doing, I threw that gun down. And I called Brother Bob. And I said, so Brother Bob, I need help. 
I said, I need help. I need somebody to stand with me. He said, Mike, I, uh, he said, I've got a full schedule, but tell you what. He said, I'm going to clear my calendar. He said, won't you come over? He said, let's, let's get together. So I drove over there that day. I didn't go to work. I called in. I went over there and I spent the day with Bob Skipper, who's passed on to his reward. But I sat there with him. Again, there's a lot of things that God did during that time. But I'm here to tell you that what got us through those moments was I committed to this lady right here. And the byproduct of that commitment through the most difficult times of my life is that I love this lady more than I can even express. So when she had her stroke, and, and I'm just, I have people all the time that say, I can't believe you stayed. I kid you not. And I look at my wife and I said, what, you thought she chose this being disabled on purpose? Why would I not stay? What got me there was the commitment we had to each other at that point. And what's blossomed out of that is a love for her that I can't even express. I wait on her every single day and it, it reminds me. <laughs> That's her by saying, not nearly good enough. <laughs> I love this lady more than I can even express. But it was because we chose commitment over love and love has been the reward. And I'm looking forward to 36 years and I'm looking forward to many more. The doctors, when she had her stroke in 2012, gave her five years. We're 10 years and counting. And every day, I'm loving her more. And I look back now, and that was a foolish time in my life, a lot of immaturity, a lot of that childishness, I guess. Uh, I was very, I was young. I was, I hadn't even, at 94, I mean, I was in my 20s. I was a young dude. I look back now and I think, man, thank you for the commitment to my wife and the love that has blossomed. What I want to say in closing this morning is there's help. If you're here and if you're online this morning, if you're hurting in your family, there is help. He's an ever-present help in times of trouble. And I'm committing to you as your pastor this morning, we will stand with you, we will fight with you, we will cry with you, we'll do anything that we can because the world is preaching a message that is not the gospel and it is a message that is tearing families apart. Let's start standing in the gap for the families and building the family up and watch God change our community because families are being strengthened through the body of Christ. Amen? Amen. Won't you stand with me this morning? I'm a family guy. I love the family. I love the family. It is one of those things that will hurt you. Listen, if you've ever had family conflicts, you understand what I'm talking about. There's no hurt like family hurt. And I understand that because we don't really give much of a... I don't care much what a stranger says about me. I really don't. Because they have no consequence to me. But you, my family, they, that matters. That matters to me. And that's why when you're vulnerable, it hurts. So I'm telling you this morning is that you don't have to hurt any longer. You don't, you don't have to do this by yourself. You know, the, Bible, the biblical model is that older women teach the younger women, older men, model for the younger men. That's the, that's, we're in this together. We call this the BT family for a reason. Here's what I want to close this morning. As I sing, I, we do an altar call every time because I think it's important. This is a place you're altered right here. I know there are grandparents that are here and maybe you have children that you're seeing some signs of, 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 of difficulty, conflict in the home. If you're here this morning and you're hurting in your relationship, maybe husband and wife, we'll be dealing with those two specific areas over the next couple of weeks. Maybe parent-child relationship. But if you're hurting this morning and you want God to intervene in your family, when they sing, I want you to come and meet me down front here. Listen, he's got the answer. He's the only answer. He's my answer. He's your answer. Maybe you're here this morning or maybe you've had some 
difficult days with your husband and your wife and maybe maybe that epiphany happened this morning when you when I said love's not the glue that holds the marriage together it's commitment maybe you need to commit stronger so that love can blossom out of that whatever that is if you have any need when they sing would you come and meet us down front today we want to pray with you this morning and you say well pastor you know what I don't want people to talk about me they're not going to talk about you they're not going to talk about you because I pray I pray that the fleas of a thousand camels will get in their bed if they talk about you we need to help one another we need to hold the arms up of those who can't hold them up anymore I look back at that moment in 94 with brother Skipper I don't know where I would be had he not taken that time and said Mike come on over I'll clear my calendar and I'll sit down and I'll talk and we worked that thing and God did a miracle and today we're a miracle go ahead and sing if you need prayer this morning would you come you formed me with your hand known and loved by you before I took a breath when I doubted, Lord, remind me I'm wonderfully made. You're an artist and a potter. Amen. Come on, you need prayer. You need prayer this morning. Come on, we'll pray with you today. This is your day. And you make all things. This is your day. Work together. Amen. For my future and for my good. You make all things work together for your glory and for your name. There's a healing just beyond the clouds though I've walked through fire I see clearly now I know nothing has been wasted no failure or mistake you're an artist and a potter on the canvas and the clay you make all things Work together for my future and for my good. You make all things work together for your glory and for your name. You make all things work together. You're an artist and a part. 
promises of scripture Paul writes in Romans 8 28 now unto him who's able no that's not that's the wrong one <laughs> all things work together for good but I like the other one too that's Ephesians now unto him who's able to do exceeding abundantly of all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us in us if the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwell in us love you guys so much this morning I want to pray as we close one of the things that we're going to do at the end of this series over the next few weeks we'll run through the month of May is on that last service I'm going to have a family blessing where we have family units come as a family and we're going to bless our families I want you to agree with me and commit to me and with me in praying for this series and for our families it's not about beating families up, but I want to correct some errors in our thought processes. You see, there's a kingdom way of thinking, there's a worldly way of thinking. And I want God to give us a kingdom way of thinking. Solutions are not hard to find when you think from the kingdom perspective. And I'm going to ask God to help us through this series. So commit with me that we'll pray each day for this, the family. As I close in prayer this morning, thank you for being with us online and praying for you guys as well. But I want to pray this morning. I felt the burden on my heart as we were singing that song. I'm going to pray for single moms today. And I'm going to pray for moms who have husbands that are not Christ followers. I want to pray for them in closing today. Father, I love you and I thank you for the abiding presence and power of the Holy Spirit. I thank you that you give us an instruction manual that never goes outdated, never needs to be updated. It's always relevant to where we are and what we're going through. I pray for every, for every person here and everyone that's online today. I pray for every family that's represented here, regardless of the, the constitution of that family, Lord, I pray for each one. I pray for husbands and wives. I pray for parents and children. God, that you would strengthen the cords of matrimony, that you would strengthen the bond of the, the, the parent-child relationship. Lord, let today be a turning point in families that are within the sound of my voice and that are tuned in and that will watch later this week. As we close today, Lord, I've felt burdened to pray for single moms. Lord, I pray for those ladies that are doing dual duty. Lord, the stress, the difficulty that they experience, the pressure that they're under, Lord, it's enormous. And I pray, Father, that you would, number one, come with your powerful right hand and that you would uphold them. 
God, I pray that you would be that help in their time of difficulty. But Father, I pray furthermore that they would recognize that you have left this institution, actually this body, this organization, this organism called the church, the body of Christ here. Lord, you've left us here to step in and to serve. And so Father, I pray that these single moms recognize that they're not in this by themselves. They're not having to journey this pathway alone. That Lord, we have mature moms and grandmas and we have men that can step in with those children. Lord, we have the resources. You have seen to it. Lord, I pray that we would connect the dots and that we would serve one another, that we would live our lives others-oriented. Father, I pray for the moms that are here today that have husbands, fathers in their home that are not believers. Lord, I pray that, again, that mom's under tremendous pressure. Lord, maybe she's fought every time she walks out the door. But, Lord, we stake a claim on that man's life. Lord, Isaiah 59 says, The arm of the Lord is not short that he cannot reach, and his ear is not deaf that he cannot hear. So, Lord, right now, we plead the blood over that husband, that father that's lost. Lord, we pray that through her testimony and through her service, that, Lord, he recognizes the operation of the Holy Spirit, and that, Lord, great conviction would come upon him, and that he would turn his life over to you. Now, Father, I pray a blessing upon every person here. Go with us. Take us out of this service, Father. I pray that we walk out, Lord, determined to have a biblical home. And as grandparents that are here, may we influence our children and grandchildren in the things of God. I love each one, and I bless them. Give us a wonderful week, I pray, in Jesus' name. And we all say it again. Amen. Thank you for being with us online. I look forward to seeing you next time. God bless you, and I love you. When I doubt it, Lord, remind me I'm wonderfully made. You're an artist and a potter. I'm the canvas and the clay. I know nothing has been wasted. No failure or mistake. You're an artist and a potter. I'm the canvas and the clay. Remind me, I'm wonderfully made. You're an artist and a potter. I'm the canvas and the clay. I know nothing has been wasted. No failure or mistake. You're an artist and a potter. I'm the canvas when I doubt and when I. canvas and the clay. I know nothing has been wasted, no failure or mistake. You're an artist and a potter. I'm the canvas and the clay. I know nothing has been wasted, no failure or mistake. You're an artist and a potter. I'm the canvas and the clay. with me, you're not finished with me yet.